Greetings and blessings, saints. Welcome to the Revelation Decoded Podcast. I'm your host and teacher, Gil Maza. We are going through an epic study through the book of Revelation, unlike any you might have heard before. Did the first century Christians understand the book of Revelation when it was first written by the Apostle John? You bet. They understood it and acted on it, and therefore they were spared the greatest tribulation that could ever come upon the Jewish people and the cataclysmic end of the Old Covenant. Think you know the book of Revelation? Come and see. Chapter 16 of John, verses 5 to 15. Again, promising the Holy Spirit. He says, But now I'm going to him who sent me, and none of you ask me where you're going. But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. But I tell you the truth, it's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Who is the Helper? The Holy Spirit. And he, when he comes, will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin because they do not believe in me. And concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you no longer see me. And concerning judgment because the ruler of this world has been judged. Did you hear that? Not will be judged, has been judged. There is a difference. I have many more things to say to you, but you can't bear them now. <laughs> I, I believe that. I understand that. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will disclose it to you what is to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of mine and disclose it to you. All things that the Father has are mine, therefore I said that he takes of mine and will disclose it to you. With that, I'll open it up for thoughts or comments. Hi, Gil. It's Levan. I just wanted to make a comment. Um, what worries me the most is all the censorship and us being locked down. Can you hear me? Uh, yes. That, that bothers me more than anything because as Christians, it makes it more and more difficult for us to spread the word and to help people. Um, right now, I really believe we've got one of the most corrupt governments we've ever had in my lifetime. But that, besides the point, if we are Christians, we can still work one-on-one -on -one with people, but not if we're locked down besides all the censorship. That's what my worry is. Okay, well, that's, that, that's a good point. But think about this for a moment. Early on in the, in the Christian church, for almost 300 years, the church was relegated to only be existing underground in the catacombs of Rome and, uh, and, and the surrounding areas. How is it that those people managed to nurture and strengthen and flourish a Christian faith that lasted over 2,000 years to us today within those kind of conditions? Do you see what I mean? So. If they, they can take away mangers, they can close down social media, they can censor every Christian. But what does that mean? That means we got to take the church to the streets. That means we got to take the church to our neighbor. We got to take the church to the humanity. And honestly, as far as I'm concerned, I believe the church needs a wake-up call anyway. And so to me, and, and, and again, not to downplay what you're saying because... Regard, you know, right? Whatever is happening politically, and you have your your point of view on whatever, fine. But does it? Is it going? Did this catch God by surprise? Did this? 
Well, is this something that God says, holy cow, you know, out of everything that I've, that I was going to do, this kind of, it now kind of ruins my plans. No, not at all. The Christian church doesn't need any of these trappings from 2,000 years ago to today to be the church triumphant on the planet. And if that means we got to start walking our faith with our own two feet, well, you know what? I say more power to it. Well, someone said to me one time that he wasn't very much a church goer until the government told him he couldn't go to church. And I just thought he was Well, see, there you go. There you go. Thank you, Roseanne. Anybody else? Hey, you know, it's me. Yes, sir. Uh, um, you know, I'm a kind of a shy person, you know. I know. <laughs> and, you know, um, well, I can have a comment, maybe advice also at the same time. You know, as, as a, a, a networker that, you know, we're supposed to be, right? Sometimes I find myself a little bit hesitant in sharing the word with somebody else that I don't know um, because uh, I'm afraid of rejection, you know? Um, but then what kind of gets me through is that, um, you know, that I know that Jesus got rejected by a lot of people. Oh, yeah. So that kind of that kind of pushes me to, to, the, to do the right thing, you know, because... You know, when you put somebody in the right path, you know, the joy of itself is priceless, you know, and I guess, you know, uh, being there, it, it, it's, it's, it's a really good feeling. Amen. Amen to that. And, you know, the thing about it is, Martin, is that I think that people's expectations of what their responsibilities are, that's the problem. I think many of us get the impression that if we're not out evangelizing in the street corners and preaching the gospel at uh, you know at a, at a full volume somewhere or standing up on a on a box soapbox at our work and and proclaiming the gospel you know no matter what happens even if we get fired that that's the responsibility of every Christian out there and that's not the case. God has put us all in different positions and in different places in society so that we can do our best to reach the people that probably nobody else would reach or touch or even know they exist. And so it's very important for us to look around and take stock of where we are and who we are and then say, God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, give me the ability to reach people for you in the place that I am and in the way I could do best. Not, I don't, I don't put myself the expectation of being a pastor. I don't put myself the expectation of being an evangelist like Billy Graham or Franklin Graham. I don't put myself in the place of being an outstanding teacher like Greg Laurie or, you know, John MacArthur or, or R.C. Sproul or these magnificent teachers. But I do what I can with what I have. If you're willing to give the Lord the little bit of what you have, your little few loaves and fishes, then he's going to grab them, putting up, up to heaven and say, God, Father, please multiply this. And man, the fruit's going to, I mean, it's all going to spread out the way it should. So you need to, we need to just kind of dial back our expectations and say, okay, God, you know I'm not a public speaker. You know I'm not an evangelist. You know I'm not a preacher, teacher, or a theologian. But whatever I do have, I give to you. And sometimes, Martin, you got to say that prayer every single morning, like I do. Right? Like I do. Because it keeps me focused. Thank you. So now, all this that we talked about, 
brings us to this moment in Revelation where it tells us in Revelation 1 verse 10 that we read earlier that John was in the spirit in the Lord's day. Right? We already figured out and we already established that without the Holy Spirit we can't do the work. So John is in the spirit on the Lord's day at this moment. And that's what I want to unpack for the rest of my time. That's what I want to talk about. So that's when this comes to play, right? First of all, what does this mean to be in the spirit? Now, if you ask most future dispensationalist teachers and authors, they say that the Holy Spirit grabbed John, the apostle, and propelled him into the future thousands of years that he the holy spirit grabbed john and whipped him into the future for almost two thousand years or three thousand years depending on when you believe is the end of time and that's where they sat john down and john was able to see what was happening two thousand years from where he was now could the text if you were reading that could it support that idea well in the modern mind, we have been taught incessantly that that's the case. We have all pretty much taken for granted that, yes, John was grabbed by God the Spirit, taken through 2,000 years so he could see what was going to happen and then tell us about it. And you know what? It's possible. Anything is possible with God. Anything could have happened. Okay? And believing John's spirit got projected or catapulted into the future sometime to get a front row seat of the end of the world, it could make sense in a way. But if you were a first century Christian Jew, a Jew or Gentile reading this, could you possibly come to the that same conclusion? Would that person that in the first century reading this as soon as it was written would they look at this and say oh i can see from the writing that john was carried by the holy spirit two thousand years into the future and honestly i don't see it personally i don't see it it could there be perhaps a much simpler cleaner and more readily accessible answer as to what this means, John being in the Spirit. I believe it's I believe there is, and I'd like to give it a try. Being in the Spirit is something that guides and directs the believer throughout their daily and entire lives. Let's look at a few examples. First, starting with John the Baptist. We know from Luke 1 verse 15 that John the Baptist was filled with the Holy Spirit in the womb before he was even born. And his birth is symbolic for all believers. We ourselves are filled with the Holy Spirit from the moment of our new birth. The moment we come to faith in Jesus Christ, Jesus says we all have to be born again. Nicodemus in John 3 says, am I supposed to crawl back into my mother's womb? And he goes, no, come on. You yourself a teacher, you don't get these things? But he says, to be born again means that at some point you had to have died. Look at Colossians 3 verses 2 to 4. Colossians 3 verses 2 to 4.
in Colossians 3 verses 2 to 4, look what it says. It says, set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on the earth. Now, if that doesn't summarize what I've been teaching for the last, I don't know, hour, then nothing does. Setting our mind on the things above, on the kingdom of God, not on the things that are on this earth. Hence, all the rigmarole that's going around us. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When, when Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. So here it says that spiritually we have experienced a death. And now we have been renewed to life by the Spirit of God. Believers are filled with the Holy Spirit the moment they believe and experience that new birth. Go with me to Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 1. Some people say, well, you get the Holy Spirit when you get baptized. No, I don't believe that for a second. The disciples received the Holy Spirit before Pentecost in John 21. And here it says in Ephesians 1 verses 13 and 14, it says, In him, listen to this, you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of salvation, of your salvation, having also believed, so you heard and you believed. At that moment, it says, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. So, you heard the gospel message. You received and believed the gospel message. At that exact moment, the Holy Spirit took his home, his dwelling place in your life, in your, in your heart, in your body. You are now the living temple of the Holy Spirit on this earth. Replacing the early temple, replacing any temple that's ever going to be made in the future. No other temple is ever going to be made because truthfully... The third, there was a temple that was built physically. Jesus said he, he took over and he became the temple. Now, the third and final temple is you and I who have placed our faith in Christ. That is it. No other temples coming into play. So spiritually, we have already experienced a type of death and resurrection. Countless scriptures on how we have died to our old natures and lived now through Christ abound. We don't have the time for them all, obviously, but I'm going to give you two big ones. Starting at Galatians chapter 2, Galatians chapter 2, verses 19 and 20. Galatians 2, 19 and 20 says, For through the law I died to the law, so that I might live to God. Listen to this. I have been crucified with Christ. Well, Christ died. He did come back to life, but he, he died. So it says, we have died with Christ, is basically what it's saying. And it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. So see, we have experienced, um, to put it bluntly, a first resurrection here. We have already experienced a spiritual resurrection. In Matthew 16, Matthew 16, 
verses 24 and 25. Listen to what Jesus says. Verse 24, Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever wishes, whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Well, that's where we are. That's where we are. Uh, we're in that situation right now. And see what I'm doing, how I'm doing on time. Okay, about 24 minutes. Now, besides the fact that John the Baptist was controlled by this, was filled with the spirit at the womb, the spirit also controlled John the Baptist's life. Go with me to Luke 1, verse 80. Luke 1, verse 80. And speaking of John the Baptist, it says here in Luke in Luke chapter 1, verse 80, it said, And the child continued to grow and to become strong in spirit, and he lived in the deserts until the day of his public appearance to Israel. So it was he was guided by the Holy Spirit in his mission for God, in his service to God. And even John the Baptist at times wavered and failed and, 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 and got in trouble and his faith wavered. When you would have thought if anybody's would have stayed strong, it would have been him. But he still wavered in his faith, as we all are want to do. And the Holy Spirit wants to control our lives, too, if we let him. And that's the key. Only if we let him. Galatians 5, 16 to 26. You're going to find it very familiar because it speaks of the spiritual gifts, right? The Apostle Paul says, but I walk. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. But if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, Outburst of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions. Wow, sounds like my Facebook page. Envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, which I forewarn you, as I have just forewarned, as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such a things, there is no law. In other words, there's no restrictions or limits to those kind of things. But now, now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. So the Spirit controls the life. If we give them control over our life, because everybody lives a life that they give control over to something or someone or whatever it is. We li our lives are controlled by something. Everybody's got to serve somebody, right? That's what, like the song goes. Everybody's going to serve somebody. But now, we say we want more Holy Spirit in our lives, but we're afraid of what will happen if we truly allowed Him to take over. Now, let's look at another character. This was an Old Testament character, okay? This was an Old Testament believer named Simeon. Luke chapter 2. 
in Luke chapter 2. Verses 25 to 27, and it's just, uh, he's got a whole life, but I just want to read a couple of things here. It says, now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, looking for the consolation of Israel. The consolation of Israel was Messiah, was Jesus. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. So you see, here's an Old Testament Jewish person controlled by the Holy Spirit. He gave so much, the Holy Spirit so much reign in his life. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. He came in the Spirit into the temple. I mean, this guy's got the Spirit oozing out of him. And when his, the parents brought in the child, Jesus, to carry out for him the custom of the law, he took him into his arms and he blessed God. Here is a Jew, not yet a Christian, so full of the Holy Spirit and understood the scriptures so well as to lead, be led by the Spirit into the temple at the exact time that his Messiah, the hopes and fears of all the years met in thee tonight, boom, right then and there, would show up. Notice that exactly like the Apostle John, Simeon came in the Spirit into the temple. So you see you see the comparison I'm trying to make here? Revelation says that John John says I was in the spirit in the Lord's day. And then here it says that the spirit in the spirit is how Simeon showed up that day. Now, Simeon came into the spirit into the temple, but was this only available to Simeon? Was he special? Well, no, he wasn't. Of course not. We have Anna the prophetess and other examples. Why didn't the spiritual leadership of Israel have this same spirit? Instead of rejoicing when Messiah possibly showed up, the wise men show up and Herod, the maniac, asked where Messiah was to be born and they just come right up and kick Jesus under the bus. Here he was, right here in Bethlehem. Instead of saying to themselves, whoa, if this is Messiah, the last person we want is for this maniac to know where he is. But they just gave him on up. No problem. So why didn't they have the spiritual leadership? Because they did no longer believed. They no longer believed in God's word. They wanted a political savior. They wanted someone to overthrow Rome and make the world a better place for them instead of making them better for this world. Let's look at our Lord Jesus' life. He shows up at the Jordan where John the Baptist is to be baptized. Is to um, Where John the Baptist is. To be baptized by John. John fully understands that Jesus has absolutely no need to be baptized. But that John needs to be baptized by him. By Jesus himself. And that's Matthew 3. I'm not going to read it for the sake of time. Jesus did this as the ultimate example for us. He did not need to be filled with the Holy Spirit or forgiven from his sins. But we do. We get baptized because Jesus commands us to make a public declaration of faith for the entire world to see. Other times being in the Spirit might lead us to some very interesting places. The Spirit purposely led Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Think about that for a moment. Go to Matthew 4.1. Matthew 4.1. Because it says exactly that. How would you like that for yourself, right? How would you like to see 
you know, then Gil was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan. Could you imagine? I'd never make it. I'd never survive. I would like turn the first hundred stones into bread and stuff myself until I got into a coma. Right? I like to think I would, res I would resist, but think about this. The Holy Spirit purposely led Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted. But there was a particular reason for that, right? And that's to show the whole world who Jesus truly was. Jesus would be the only one that could overcome the devil in this situation. So this was a way to identify that this was the one true Messiah. Because the only Messiah could have done this, could have survived that the right way. Okay, Jesus did this as the ultimate example to us. Now, the Holy Spirit did not allow Jesus to be tempted beyond his ability to resist. And he does the same for us if we let him. If we let him. Many times when we have, when we have fallen into sin, I, in my experience, so I may not be able to speak for everybody, but in my experience, I saw the, I see the steps very clearly where the Holy Spirit put obstacles in my way that I had to jump, that I had to overcome to commit my sin. He does all kinds of things to get my attention. He does all kinds of things to say, hey, this is not a good idea, buddy. And I just ignore it and do what I want anyway. Then later on, when I'm in my failure, on the ground, fail, you know, failed and miserably, that's when I reproach God and say, you know, why did you let this happen to me? Well, no, he didn't let it happen to me. I made the decision to override his will, to override his spirit, to override all the obstacles he put in place so that I would not sin. And I did this with a free will. And that's all I'm saying. If you want the whole, more control of the Holy Spirit in your life, then be willing to obey the Holy Spirit. And you will see, you will reap, we will reap, and we do reap the rewards and benefits when we are faithful, when we are obedient. When we are obedient to Him. You might say, well, Jesus is God. Right? So what was the big deal there? Well, He isn't going to fall for temptation. You know, great. But you make my point. Because it's the same God in all of us. So if he could keep Jesus strong enough not to sin, then you're saying he should be able to be strong enough to keep us from sinning. But he's not going to do it against your will. He's not going to force you, overwhelm you, overpower you, and physically turn you around and move you back and move you away. Because he wants you to make that choice. He wants you and I to make that decision. He's never going to override our will. Sometimes the Holy Spirit allows us to wander in the wilderness of our faith. To walk in this world until we react appropriately and respond to sin like Jesus did. And again, we can only do that with the Holy Spirit. What do I mean by that? What I mean is, sometimes you hear yourself or people say, well, I, I'm stuck here. I don't know what to do. I'm in this sin. I'm caught up in it. I, I don't know how to get out of it. Well, sometimes God is testing your will to see if you love and obey him. And God is allowing you to wallow in that for a certain extended amount of time so that you can make the appropriate decision. If you know it's wrong, you make a stand, you resist, and you move on. And sometimes that's the lesson. 
I don't know about you, but unfortunately, in my thick skull, sometimes he allows me to wallow in it until I say I've had enough. And I make the physical decision to say, I'm out of here. I'm not doing this anymore. I am done with this. When I do that, I build within me that resistance in my spirit and in my heart and soul to those things. And I, I become better at resisting those things as I go. So sometimes the process is just as important as the result. And sometimes, like he allowed the Jews for 40 years to wander in their, in their unbelief in the wilderness until they made a decision for him. It's the same way sometimes he'll allow us to just walk around in, cir in circles. In circles until we decide, you know, okay, enough is enough. I got to do the right thing. God's been telling me what to do. I know what the right thing to do is. I'm just going to do it now. And the more we do that, the stronger the Holy Spirit. It, it, no, he doesn't get any stronger because he's God. He can't get any stronger or weaker. We, he doesn't become weak. We weaken ourselves towards him. We weaken his influence in our life because we can make that choice. We are allowed to make that decision. So you got to decide whether you're the one making it, if you're making that decision against him or not. In Luke 4, 14, the Spirit uh, leads Jesus full of the Spirit, it says. And Luke 4, 14, let me jump right over there real quick. Luke 4, 14. In Luke 14, 4, 14, I'm sorry. Listen to this. Now here's another example of how the Spirit works. And Jesus returned to Galilee. This was after his temptations in the wilderness in the power of the Spirit. You see how the writer makes sure to include that phrase in this scripture? And Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit and news about him spread throughout all the surrounding district. Just like he did with the apostles just like he does with all believers for all times. Even, the, even though the disciples already had the Holy Spirit in them, Jesus promised he would send the Holy Spirit to them after he was glorified, which he did after the resurrection. Look at John 7, 39. It says this, Now on the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. John then explains to us what Jesus meant. But this he spoke of the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for the Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. You see, and in John 20, 21, 22, John 20, 21, 22, I had told you earlier that the disciples had received the, the Holy Spirit before Pentecost. A lot of people are under, under the mistaken idea that the, all the believers received the Holy Spirit for the first time at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. But that's not the case. In John 20 verses 21 to 22, it says... Well, just to give it context, I'll go to verse 19. So when it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and all the doors were shut, all were, uh, the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst and said, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them both his hands and his side. The disciples then rejoiced when, he saw, when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them, Peace be with you. As the Father sent me, I also send you. 
And when he said this, listen to this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, the sins have been forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they have been retained. So you see here, not at Pentecost, they all initially received the indwelling of the Spirit, which all believers receive. The Holy Spirit will empower you as you go in this life. Like a Pentecost, so to speak, he will fall upon you. He will empower you. He will guide you, direct you, encourage you. He will do all those things. And that's what Pentecost was. The empowering of them to go into the world and preach the gospel and reach. And look how powerful it was. It reached 2,000 years till today. So you see, they received the Holy Spirit at, 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 in faith. Later on, they were infilled or empowered for, by the Spirit to fulfill their work for the kingdom of God. Let's see where I'm at here. How am I doing? I believe that'll be a good place to stop. I have one more page left on that, but I don't want to have to get into more. I don't want to keep you here any longer. Thoughts or comments? Gil, were they also given the gift of speaking different languages at that same time? No, not at the initial beginning, right? That wasn't spiritual gifts they were empowered, endowed with. That was just the indwelling of the Spirit that uh, for their belief, for their initial belief, right? They put their faith in Jesus and Messiah. He's, he's now resurrected, right? He's now walking around after he died and came back from the dead. And now he is saying, be indwelt in the Spirit, and that's that initial indwelling that all believers get when they first believe in Jesus Christ. Okay. So Pentecost was different So remember what Jesus said, right? Jesus said, wait for me, right? Wait for me here until the Holy Spirit comes upon you in power. And from that point on, I'm going to send you out because he knew. And the point I've been making for this study and the one before that, that without the Holy Spirit, it wasn't enough that they be filled with the Spirit, that they have the Spirit inside them, like many Christians do. What they had to do now is be empowered so that they can go out and accomplish what they were supposed to do and think about it. That literally meant the preaching of the entire world. And so many, I believe many Christians today have the Holy Spirit inside them, but they're not empowered by Him. Because they're not really doing anything to further the kingdom of God. Yeah, they, they go to church and they're faithful and they maybe even tithe. But aside from that, okay, and all of us fail. And I'm not saying I'm any better than anybody else. But all I'm saying is if you want, if you, you only need the Holy Spirit when you're moving out in faith to do things only the Holy Spirit can do. And that includes and especially talking to people about Jesus Christ and living a life that shows them, hey, I love you. I care for you in the name of Jesus. If you're hungry, I'll feed you. If you're cold, I'll put a blanket on you. If you're thirsty, I'll give you water. Jesus says, if you did it for the least of these, you did it for me, you see. But the kind of life God wants us to live requires the power of the Holy Spirit to accomplish it, not simply the indwelling of them, guaranteeing our salvation. In other words, we can't just sit there and say, okay, we're, I'm saved and I'm good. No. And you got if you're going to move out from the kingdom of God, you need to be empowered. And that was what Pentecost was. Okay. Yeah. And that included the tongues and every all the other gifts that came with it. Anybody else?
Well, God bless you all, and thank you for your time and effort tonight and listening. And uh, we'll finish off this study next week and start on uh, Lesson 13 as well. I'm doing my best to try to get those podcasts done before I was trying to get them done. And something always happens. I don't know. I can always find an excuse, I guess. But I'll try to get this podcast on. Yes. Can you hear me? Yes. Hey, I have a question. Cephas, the historian. Was he, did he um, talk about the distraction of you know, the simulation anything in his books? Are you kidding me? <laughs> Antiquities and the uh, War of the Jews is nothing but a retelling of the book of Revelation. Okay. So, so the answer is absolutely, positively yes. And he's one of our biggest, he's one of three major historical figures that allow us to put the pieces together in Revelation because they talk about instances in Revelation that are almost word for word as we're going to find out as we move on later from chapter 1. Besides Eusebius, who was the other two? Uh, Eusebius... Eusebius, it's E-U-S-E-B-S. <laughs> I don't remember how to spell it so much. Eusebius and Suetonius. Suetonius. Yeah, Suetonius was actually, he actually was the advisor for Caesar Nero. And he recorded a lot of the, he, he's the one of the main sources where we get like the most horrible underbelly of what this guy was about. I mean, that, that guy was so degenerate from the word go. Were these guys Romans or were these uh, Jewish people? Well, Josephus was a Jew who joined the Romans during the siege of Jerusalem. So he had a first-hand view of it, of the whole thing. So Josephus was not a believer? No. As, as, as you know. No. Some people like to say he was because they, there's, a, there's a disputed quote where he talks about Jesus as a as a seer that performed miracles and things like that. But Josephus was never a Christian. Okay. Thank you. You're welcome. Anybody else? No. All right. Okay, beloved, let's pray, and I'll get you and send you on your way. And again, thank you so much for your time and attention tonight. Father in heaven, again, we're so grateful for your word. Please, Father, allow us to be filled with your Holy Spirit. Give us the spirit of peace, of hope, of, uh, of, of, of security and safety, Father, of comfort, not of anxiety and fear and frustration, Father. We don't know what the world's, what the day's going to bring tomorrow or how it's going to happen, but it doesn't matter because we are to be citizens of the kingdom of God first. We are to live as citizens of the kingdom first. So allow us, Lord, as it says in Corinthians, to look to the heavens and not look, uh, focus on the flesh. Not focus on the world and the culture and everything. That doesn't mean we sit idly by. That doesn't mean we ignore it. That, mean, that doesn't mean we don't do anything about it. That just means that we take our cue from you. So help us to be the Christians, the citizens of the kingdom that you want us to be, regardless of who's in power, regardless of political uh, situations. It does not matter. You still reign, you still conquer, and you are alive today, Father, and you are the King of kings and Lord of lords of our lives. And there's many people in the world that choose to ignore that, but those listening to my voice right now, as well as myself, we made a decision in one day that not an earthly king, we don't want a king or someone to come make the world better for us. We're willing to let you mold us into being better people so that we can improve the world, Father, until the day when you come back 
and surprise us with your visit. For us, it's going to be a wonderful surprise. It'll be like a long-lost relative that just came back. Give us strength to be uh, encouragers and blessers and lovers of our, of, of our fellow man and help us to be the best example of the Christians, of the citizens of the kingdom that we can be, Father. I lift up to you all who are sick and infirm right now and ask that you're blessed and strengthen them, Lord. And until we meet again next Tuesday, Lord, put your word in our hearts and your spirit in our, in our bodies so that we can move the kingdom of God forward at least a few a few little bits before next week and before our time on this earth is done. We praise you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you, saints, and have a good night. Good night, Jill. Good night. This concludes part two of Lesson 12, I, John, was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. Please join us for our next Bible study. Revelation Decoded Lesson 13, I Turned to See the Voice. May God richly bless you, saints.